Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and thanks for coming today. And we're chatting about uh, partnerships and buy-ins in our, our third season of, uh, of shows here. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the burning topic of Due diligence concerns from the buyer. Due diligence to me is like standpoint. a cousin term to EBITDA. People say it a lot. No one knows what it is, right? <laughs> just tell people your EBITDA is going great. If they ask you to define it, don't just, 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 just walk away. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I'm, just, wor- I'm working smile on smile and nod. Right? I'm doing due diligence. You sound very good when you're saying that. What are you doing right now? I'm doing due diligence. So we're going to tell people what that looks like. Right. Well, that, and that's that's a great intro. Uh, yeah. And that's an unscripted intro, too, yeah. because you know it can mean a lot of different things, yeah. right? There's no stock due diligence or this is the only thing that you need to do because as we say every deal is different every buy-in is different every situation is different so you need to evaluate what's in front of you uh, and certain things are going to call for other uh, further inquiry so due diligence is really just doing your homework basically okay Uh, on the practice and on the deal so we'll, we'll talk today about due diligence from a buyer standpoint and then also from a seller standpoint. For the most part, the, the due diligence is most of the, the serious due diligence in a buy-in is going to be on the on the buyer side. Yeah. You know, because you're the one that's coming in trying to learn about what this is that you're you're buying into. Yeah. But there is uh, due diligence that a seller should do for sure. on a buyer. So we'll start with with the buyer. So uh, first and foremost, we're talking about financial due diligence. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things that, where we've talked about in previous episodes, a lawyer can't make a bad deal good right. through the contract. Uh, where I see most of the problems arise, uh, where uh, somebody buys into a practice or there's a partnership, it doesn't pan out the way they thought it would pan out, and and you know we can kind of put a few of those words in quotes. Um, that's because they didn't have the right expectations because they didn't learn enough about the practice to expect to know what to expect. And that that's, you know, crucial with due diligence. So what we're talking about with that from a financial standpoint are really two things. You know, it's working with your CPA to look at the valuation of the practice, what you're purchasing. But then also even more importantly, what is the projected cash flow? Yeah. Of, the, of the practice. I think in, in these scenarios, it. if the money isn't right, nothing matters. You know, right. I think you know it's it's one time where it doesn't matter if you guys are going to go to the same C courses in the next year, or if you know want to paint the waiting room a different color. It's mm-hmm. this money part has got to come right up front yeah. for this. Well, it's 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 what will kill all good relationships yeah. of, of every sort, and so it and and that's really what. 
and then to me, the most important aspect of all of this is knowing or having an idea of what the the projected cash flow looks like. You know, so what we mean is, you know, if you buy into this practice, things remain relatively the same. And after you service your debt, you pay the loan, how much money can you expect right. to make? And that's a number and that's analysis, that's an exercise that you have to go through yeah. with your CPA. You shouldn't assume just because the practice makes a lot of money or it's high grossing or uh, it's got a good reputation that if you buy in for X and borrow that money that you're going to make a certain amount of money, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it, it depends on, on what the numbers are. And it's not always obvious and intuitive. And I had a debate the other day with, uh, with the doc who was on the other side of a deal with my client. It was just in disbelief that how could she possibly make less money after she buys in? Right. Well, it's because the purchase price and the profit of the practice and what it's going to cost to borrow the money, after you factor all that in, she will make less money as a partner than an associate. I, I think you're bringing up a, an important point. You know, my dad had a partner for years. I have a partner. Associates now can earn a lot of money, whether it's for whatever reason, you know, their skill set inside of a practice, things that they do. And I think it, back in my day, Rob, my day, buying into buying a practice or buying into a practice was like snapping your fingers and making more money because mm -hmm. what you were making was pretty low. Right. So it wasn't a hard That's bar a to overcome. Yeah, yeah. So I just think mentally, whatever it's mental, emotional, the buyer in the due diligence phase is probably going to learn a hard money lesson about what it looks like to make more money immediately before the loan's paid off. Yeah, well, perhaps. But still, most deals you in the marketplace that we see, people do, they are cash flow oh, positive. For sure. But it's funny because that same doctor, we didn't talk about this, I promise, said, uh, you know, maybe I pay too much to my associates, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. because they're making more money as an associate than they would as a partner. That's a problem. Yeah. I said, well, you know, I don't want to go too far down that <laughs> yeah, road with yeah. that. But, you know, that to your point, you know, that there are opportunities out there where associates are making a lot of money. And, you know, if you're buying into the practice, you are getting equity. You know, you're right. accruing ownership interest in this asset. So it's not like, uh, you know, if you're losing a few bucks on it, it's not like that money's, you know, going to waste or yeah. uh, you're throwing it out the window, it's it's going to uh, to buy and, and to acquire an ownership interest in this in this enterprise, in this practice. Uh, but um, you can't take that for granted that yeah. what you'll make more. And, you know, people that listen to the show and my clients have heard me say this, you know, probably thousands of times, which is if you don't do this, then you're picking what's behind door number three. And, you know, nobody wants to find out two months after you've done this deal and you've paid this purchase price and you're in this partnership, what was behind door number right. three, you know? Yeah. Was it, you know, uh, a donkey or was <laughs> it, you know, a brand new car, you <laughs> yeah. know? And uh, and that makes a difference. And you can kind of, you can forecast that or at least maybe not precisely, but you can get kind of pretty close yeah. to having a good understanding of what that is if you work with a CPA who's looking at the numbers and, and and making the right assumptions and is able to to, to work through the practices, financials and, and books to, to tell you that this is what this is and this is what you can expect to make. Yeah, I think it's a it's a key jumping off point for the due diligence. If I'll share the clinical due diligence is, you know, you say making the donuts, Rob, right? So it's like, what type of donuts are being made in this practice? As an associate, 
you might have some awareness of the clinical due diligence, but when you're going to be a partner, which procedures you're going to share? Does the dentist do things the way you're comfortable with long-term? You know, I think some of the things, you know, I always say associates are aunts and uncles of the practice, right? So my brother is an uncle of my daughter's great uncle. But if he was going to move into our house, he'd probably have some suggestions, right? You know, <laughs> so like when you come over as the uncle and yeah. you're just like, you know, a visitor, but you're there to keep the children safe and you're a big part of the part of the family life. But if you're now rolled into taking care of the, the children, you're going to have some suggestions on the way they do it. And that can happen. I mean, it's not your forte, Rob. I know you're not going to go to Crown Prep Fantasy Camp anytime soon, mm, but not. I think it's something that's important for the both parties to pay attention to. We're yeah. talking about the buyer, just which procedures are being done? How are you going to share these procedures? Is there enough to truly share as partners long-term? Is someone going to go learn, learn something that they can add to the practice? I think sometimes while money is the most important, it's also the donut making each day is critical. Yeah. And, and so this kind of goes buyer seller. So tell me, you know, like for me as the, the, uh, the clinical dental lay person, uh, are you looking as a partner, two partners saying like, we want to partner with somebody who does the same things that we do, uh, the same types of procedures? Or are we saying that we want to partner with somebody who has additional skill sets so that you know, you, you can add to what the offering I would say, is you know, the I or some at, combination? Looking at my dad's partnership, they did about 70% the same, but their other 30% was good for the community because let's say my dad did extractions and his partner learned how to restore implants. This is now back in the 80s and 90s, right? right. So that partnership was, they both did crowns, they both did fillings. At some point they both did root canals, they eventually gave that up. But then my dad said, I'm gonna do extractions and his partner's like, I don't wanna do extractions. And then when it came time to learn about restoring dental implants, his partner said, I'm gonna go and learn these things. Because right. you know this goes into so many different, it goes into the whole business model of the, Taco Bell, Chipotle, Alves, you know, what's there to do inside of that practice. The more fee for service a practice is, maybe in the more of a community where the dental need is not as high, the more you need to do other procedures to say, I don't like the term stay busy, but to maintain profitability. Mm -hmm. You know, in where we grew up, we wouldn't be fillings coming as far as the eye could see, right? So there's right. other types of procedures that you would have to add to the practice to add value to. So I think 70% the same, but then it's nice when 30% is different so the patients can benefit from it. Right, so it's more more complimentary. Okay, that's cool. Um, you know, and then uh, looking at the practice, the next thing I would say is, especially for somebody that's buying in, so this is more of like a buyer thing to look at, and it's somewhat financial, is looking at what the respective production is for the dentist that you're buying into. So kind of the classic example of this is we have two dentists that are partners now. One of them is leaving the practice and the new partner is coming in buying that dentist out. So they were 50-50. We value the practice at $2 million. And so, yes, I'm buying 50% of the $2 million practice. Therefore, I will pay a million dollars for that. Okay. Is that interest worth a million dollars if the person that you're buying out is only doing 25% of right. the dentistry in that practice. And the short answer is no, right? right? And then, and which can be a tricky thing. And and it could be a tricky thing uh, in trying to address it uh, in, 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 in the document uh, or in, as part of the, the deal structure, because you have competing interests here. You have this person that's going to remain 
who's going to be your future partner who's not interested in splitting necessarily or changing the way that the practice works. I mean, if they're doing 75% of the dentistry there, now they're not getting paid by you. The person that's leaving yeah. is getting paid. They don't want to all of a sudden start doing less and making less because right. their partner sold. And the partner looks at this and says, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here and this, I've got, I own 50% of this. Right. I want to get as much money as I can. Yeah. And that becomes a very tricky uh, conflict to, um, to manage, uh, but it's important from a from a buyer standpoint to to look at that and and understand what you're what you're getting because you're really you're buying the goodwill. You know, just like when yeah. you buy a practice, an asset purchase, the overwhelming majority of the of the purchase price is allocated for tax purposes to goodwill, rightfully so. Right. You know, even in a you know an eight hundred thousand dollar deal, uh, maybe the equipment's worth a hundred grand. Maybe, right. probably yeah. not. You know, it's probably worth like 60 or 70. And then the rest of it is goodwill. Right. So if you're coming in as a partner and you're buying into this 50-50 partnership and the person you're buying from only has 25% of the goodwill, you could see that what you don't want to be paying right. more than for, for something more than that. Uh, but it, it's a very tricky thing to manage. But it's also this is one of the things where you're working with somebody that's helping you with the financial due diligence yeah, to identify. That, that's this. why it's key to have someone on your side who tells you what your financial life is going to look like after this before yeah. you step through door number two. Right. right. <laughs> this is what it's going to feel like after this. Right. How's that feel to you? And you know, and you'll you'll listen to the dental lenders, you know, tell you that oh, don't worry, the default rates are really low on these deals. But what I, that scenario I just laid out is kind of like the classic case of just like setting yourself up to be mired in mediocrity for right. the foreseeable future, right? Or until you're able to grow the practice so that what used to be, you know, the other person can still produce the same amount that they did when they were 75, 25, but you just grew the practice by another right. 30% to allow you to now produce as much as them. Now you can be 50-50, but there's the pie got bigger. Yeah. The pie doesn't get bigger the day after closing, right? right? So, uh, but that's, that's an important thing. But if you don't, you know, but through that process, uh, it could be painful. I've, heard, I've, right? I've, I've hung around this this law office enough where you guys, where I know when you guys say the p word and it's principle, right? Yeah. But I'm going to have a p word for this one because you say when they throw that word out, it's always a, it's always an orange red flag, right? right We're right. doing this out of principle. You yeah. know, what's happening next? It's not yeah. going to be comfortable. Uh, the p word in these words is potential. Potential is not a real thing, right? Right. You know, when that when that older seventy says, "You buy me out," there's so much potential here. You could be doing. Why weren't you <laughs> doing it, it? Right. I love you know, it. you could be yeah. doing it. There's yeah. no, you know, I don't think the bank pays on potential. You can't pay yeah. your bills on potential. Uh -huh. And I also think that, like, if you buy a practice and you know, uh, it's just a quick story. Well, I never forget. I actually, when I was a young broker, or, or you know, I wasn't young in ages, but six years ago, I, I would go to the meetings in person. I sat with this woman and her husband at a their kitchen table at the office and the practice did $500,000 a year. And I said, you know, maybe if it's going really well, you know, maybe we could list it for like $375,000, you know, maybe let's say, and he goes, I think we should list it for 700. I go, oh geez. I go, why? He goes, cause there's so much potential uh, here. And I just said, yeah. when someone says that, it's just words that don't show up on any stat sheet. So just yeah. be cautious if someone says, just because they refer mm -hmm. to all the extractions, mm -hmm. it should be looked at as how does it look right now? Yeah, for sure. Because yeah, <laughs> it'll give you the opportunity to come in here, spend lots of money and work harder to grow it. And right. you, you can pay extra for that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it sounds ludicrous, but it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one, Paul. <laughs> so there's another dreaded P word. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about due diligence from the seller side too, because uh, we have some of the similar things. You know, you're looking at cash flow, as we've talked about in some other episodes and some other contexts. When you bring this partner on, yeah. what is it going to cost you? What are you going to receive from them with a the purchase? But now you're splitting profit. You may be splitting production in a different way yeah. or splitting production period for the first time. But very few people would bring a partner on, go from a solo doc to bring right. on a, a second dentist as a partner. But really, same thing though, knowing, hey, if I sell for this, I sell 50% interest in this practice for X amount, I get this money and here's how much I'm going to make at the end of the day when I'm splitting profit splitting hygiene and we each get yeah. paid for for our service the same thing don't wait until after the deal to find out what was behind door number three right. do your your cash flow projections before the deal the other thing I would say from uh, a seller standpoint is you know looking realistically at the financial wherewithal of the buyer you know and as you right. said before Paul you know, if uh, this practice, you, you bring a partner on and buys 50% with the expectation that they're going to buy the rest of it. Well, if they can't, then what are you right. going to do? And sometimes uh, it could be that they just don't, they're not up for it. Uh, but it also could be that they have financial issues. Yeah. So if somebody says, yeah, I'd like to buy in, but I can't get a bank loan. Can you sell or finance that? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, that is a very dark orange right. flag for yeah. us because if they can't get financing now, what are we going to do when they can't get financing later? And you know, most people when they sell their practices aren't interested in becoming a bank. Right, for sure. It's yeah. a, and it, this is such a big thing. It cuts across all deals, but especially this where it's, you know, I've dealt with this as a broker. I've seen this. It's like the seller really, like you're just echoing what you said, has to really dig into the due diligence of, the buyer's ability to purchase this thing, right? Because right. deals have got fallen apart at the 20 yard line because the buyer says, oh yeah, I can't get a bank loan. And anyone listening thinks, well, it's the broker's fault of this. Listen, you don't live inside people's email inboxes. You don't live inside people's heads. They can tell you everything's fine. Sometimes these bank rob, I feel like they write letters like it's my grandmother telling me I'm the most handsome boy in the world. You can have a million dollars. Sometimes they say, I was approved for a million dollars. And what practice? No practice, yeah, right? Yeah. So then somehow it goes. So I just think it's uh, a key yeah. point for the seller to make sure. Now, you know, seller financing, you know, I guess comes with risks that are just different than getting a big check and being done. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, and it's, and it's not even the risk today, it's the risk down the road. Yeah. You know, or, or what's going to happen next. If it's a problem now, you're on notice. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing, you know, for especially if we're talking about like a specialty practice, due diligence, this is also, you know, quasi-financial, looking at sort of the nature of the practice, trying to understand what it is, you know, are they, uh, where are referrals coming from? Yeah. Are they coming from, you know, a, a very varied large group of, of practices and people, or are they concentrated in, in a select few? Um, same thing goes though, even for a general dentistry practice, you know, if you're looking at buying into a practice and this is, it's doing great and there's a pharmaceutical, uh, company down the road that is 80% of the, of the patients in the practice, is it a really healthy practice? Because if that pharmaceutical company decides they're going to change locations or lay people off, does that mean that you just lost 80% of the, of the patients? Right. So yeah. it's really looking for 
referral sources from a number of sources looking for you know trends where you would be exposed if you know one of those like what is that like Django is what's yeah, the, yeah. the game like if you take one of these pieces out is the whole thing going to fall right. down and and so you know it's just overall patient demographics uh, but then also referral demographics you know is if you're buying a specialty practice uh, and sixty you percent know, of the patients come from three people then yeah. if one of those people stops referring or they die or they retire or they don't want to refer to you because they referred to the seller because maybe they went to uh, went to college together, whatever the case may be, that becomes a riskier proposition. Very really good point. I just thought of something as you're talking because I know we can, these are for us to learn from each other too. That's why, um, you know, membership clubs, I know we had Tom Camerode on once, uh, mm -hmm. my sponsor. Yeah. I think they're like an incredibly positive part of the due diligence process that people don't look at enough because we're building ours methodically. And you just shared a few things that, you know, like a Bruce Springsteen song, when the steel mill shits, shuts down, there's no more patience, right? Mm -hmm. But you just shared, is there a place that sends the patients? What if there's an insurance that controls all of the patients and they change fees? And I just think um, just for, for you to know and people listening that developing relationships with membership clubs through your patients, I, I think is such a great way to bond them to the practice mm -hmm. in a way that's not easy to disrupt. Yeah. You know, because you were just sharing some downsides to what if one company, you know, J&J &J is the one mm -hmm. place that sends all the patients, or what if one referral source is this guy and he retires, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, what if they, that practice gets sold to a DSO and they bring in their own in-house specialist? Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know, what happens is it goes away, right? Yeah. In, in, in a bad way. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, uh, it's a good point. Um, and I think overall, I, I think what I would say the takeaway as we kind of wrap this up is, you know, there are so many things that you need to look at, you know, and I think, a lot of times people fall into the trap and we see it on, you know, on Facebook groups yeah. and, and blogs. I am looking at a practice that is does a hundred thousand dollars in revenue and they want to sell it for six hundred and ninety-three thousand right. dollars. Is this a good deal? Right. You know? Yeah. And everybody says, Yes, good deal, bad deal. But you know, there's the devil's in the detail with this stuff, you know, whether you're talking about an acquisition of a practice or a buy-in, you have to look at all these other things. Yeah. You know, like the number is one thing. They're they're you know, the the revenue of the practice that is that is obviously an important piece of right. data but it's just one piece of data you know and understanding and doing the due diligence and getting under the hood with all these other things that we're talking about you know what the cash flow looks like what the where the who's producing you know how much dentistry relative to the other partners where the referral sources are coming from what the buyers ability to get financing is or otherwise their financial wherewithal you know clinical what kind of work yeah. are they doing is it I'd fit? Even add these in things all matter I'd, I'd add in a life situation due diligence because i know it's a theme throughout it but like you know where that where is your partner in his or her place in life and how's yeah. that going to affect this deal yeah. you know you could be excited in 2023 but what if your partner wants to be out of dentistry in 2028 it's right. probably not a good idea to be start this partnership right, right? Or, so. or or maybe it is if, if it's your goal to have them out right? right but but know that that's what it is going into it and make sure it's compatible with what your expectations are well i think you know are. it's you know it's not to bring back past seasons but that's why like 
sometimes people are looking at partnerships where they should do like uh, the old switcheroo and you know sell and be the other person's associate oh, yeah. you know like mm -hmm. for some reason they look at partnerships i think they either they think it's quaint they want to be nicer and they're just not willing to have the hard conversation like you only want to work for three more years how about i just buy the practice be my associate for two years i was your associate for the past 10. You know? yeah you know? yeah that's an interesting you know and, and and you're allowed to bring back okay, seasons. Thanks. it's sort of like uh, a callback for the, ghost, the, the yeah. ghost of seasons past <laughs> yeah. you know we're almost getting to that season paul but i think like that's changing that mentality and that mindset I think is changing a little bit now because of DSO proliferation that yeah. people have this understanding like that that's a model you could do too which is sell you know to sell your practice now and continue to work after although more more and more DSO deals people are not selling 100% of their practice yeah. to a DSO you know it's you know the uh, the retaining you know joint venture equity is becoming more and more popular almost to the exclusion of the outright yeah. um, sale, but you know when, when you, uh, it's interesting though that there still is sort of a I wouldn't say resistance, but it's not what people kind of go to first, and I wonder why, you know, because uh, to your point, and, and from our from our perspective, we look at this and are like, well, you know, do you really want to jump through all these hoops of this partnership right. thing for two years or three yeah. years, you know, if the understanding and the expectation is that this person's going to going to uh, sell a portion now yeah. and the rest shortly. And and it is something that, that should be considered because all these things we're talking about with partnerships are, a lot of it is specific to a partnership. Right. That uh, if you have an outright purchase where you turn around and hire that person, a lot of the partners, well, all the partnership stuff goes away. Right. And there's a, a substantial amount of risk associated with it from a, a legal, financial, and just you know practical standpoint of, practicing with somebody else that, you know, if you can avoid it, may not be the worst idea. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think I think it's just that the due diligence cuts across from, like you said, people, profits, you know, potential can't sell we went through, you know, and uh, figuring out what makes sense in, in your life in, a, in an eyes wide open way. I think, you know, I'm sure you hear it, I hear it. I want to partner with my boss. Don't tell me anything bad about it. I go, what about these three questions? They go, those questions that make me uncomfortable. I said, well, you better talk about them now. Right. You know, right. he wants to vacation every single August for four weeks, no matter what was yeah. one of the things, right? Yeah. August was off for the month. I go, right. you know, I'm not saying it's a deal breaker, but it's a deal effector. Yeah, we we, we right. need something between the deal breaker and like the green light, right? Mm -hmm. Deal effector or something, right? Deal influencer. Yeah, well, yeah. and let's. And let, this is probably a good point to wrap it up on, yeah, sure. because I think that's again underscores the importance of working with other people to give you that wake up call, that sanity <laughs> yes. check, that you know hey, this is what I want to do. I've decided that we're going to partner for the next eighteen months, and then I'm going to buy out you know the remaining twenty five percent in two stages, like. Why? Yeah, you know, like let's talk about another way to do this. I mean, know? I think you know a good question to ask is wrap up, and I, I think that you know puppies, you've helped us, babies. Is this normal most of the time? You have a baby in your house, it's you and your wife, you and your you and your spouse, and you want to know is this normal? And you go ask somebody else if it's normal, not yourself. And you right. might ask, even if it's yeah. a grandmother, is it normal for them to be up three times a night? So I think dentists need to do more of that yeah. and say to their advisors, is this normal in the due diligence process? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And on that note, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Dr. Nacho. It's always a pleasure to chat. And if uh, you enjoy the show today, please go on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a good review. And 
Thanks, everybody. Until the next time. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.